1: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events.
2: I was thinking about who I want to replace you as co-host when you're in Hawaii.
1: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I thought we would just do it ahead of time.
2: Well, I was thinking I would just replace you.
1: Just- you. I find it problematic how excited you are. Like you are saying those words with relish. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. This week we're talking with Phoebe Robinson. Phoebe is taking over the world, and I am fine with it. (laughs) Yeah, She is excellent. Yeah, this is going to be a good world that Phoebe runs,
2: for sure. And the way you take over the world is by writing (laughs) books and also having as many podcasts as possible. All of the podcasts. Phoebe has two at WNYC. One is with Jessica Williams from The Daily Show. That's called Two Dope Queens. If you haven't listened to it, you must. It's recorded as a part of a live comedy experience. So it's like you're at the comedy show with them. They have the gals from Broad City on. They've had Jon Stewart on. You should be listening to Two Dope Queens. Phoebe's other show is just her interviewing one other person. And it's called So Many White Guys. So many white guys. (laughs) In which she does not interview white guys. She interviews anyone who she finds interesting who is not straight, white, and male. Because they are overrepresented, shall we say, in other podcasts. A lot of the stereotype of what a podcast is is like two dudes in their garage talking about movies or whatever it is. Phoebe Robinson wanted to kind of turn that on its head. So she decided to have a show where she, as a woman of color, talks to other people of color, queer folk. And women in particular, because they are often maybe the token person on a panel on somebody else's show, but she wanted to put them front and center.
1: Yes. So Phoebe came to Chicago earlier this fall. She stopped by WBEZ and we interviewed her. We talked to her about both of her podcasts, especially kind of that reaction to the idea of having a show called So Many White Guys. Turns out some white guys did not enjoy Uh the name of the show. We started our conversation with Phoebe talking about her new book called You Can't Touch My Hair. One thing you say in the section that you wrote about your hair that I just really loved was that you said that your hair is not easy, but neither are you. So you kind of match.
3: Yeah. I just feel like society has never really embraced black women's hair. And they've decided what it should mean to black women. And if you wear your hair natural, like, you might not get hired for a job. If you straighten your hair, then there's this ridiculous notion that oh you're trying to be white you don't love yourself and so I think so how do you win like there's
2: no winning in that
3: dichotomy yeah and so I think for me why I've just changed my hair so much and done like all these fun hairstyles is that I wanted to take it back and have it not be this serious thing that was running my life and instead I own it now and I can wear my hair however I want and it's beautiful no matter which way that I style it and that's That's, I hope, is a takeaway from that essay just because it's, yeah, we should embrace our own differences instead of just trying to beat them out of people, you know?
1: I think, too, like the differences in like being a difficult person, you know, the fact that it's like I sometimes like I'm going to take issue with things you say and that's okay too. You know, that idea that we all are like complex human beings. Yeah.
3: And I think a lot of times, I think especially with women, society does not want us to be complex. Mm -hmm. They just want us to smile and Boost the egos of men, and that is all we're supposed to do, which is, screw that.
1: I had this really weird reaction yesterday. I was in a yoga class, Mm -hmm. and the teacher did this thing where he told all of us to smile, and there, I think there is sort of like a an energetic notion around like if you are smiling while you're doing things, you're, you know, bringing mm-hmm. positive whatever. But it was all, my first reaction was just like, uh-uh, like you do not yeah. tell me to do that, <laughs> sir. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second. Maybe this is with good intention. Yeah. <laughs>
2: this is a yoga smile. Yeah. This is not a like cat call on the
1: sidewalk <laughs> yeah. smile. It was just such a funny moment of, you know, just being automatically resistant to it and then yeah. like.
3: Wait a second, maybe you don't have to get mad, <laughs> yeah, but I feel that way. I was used to go to this place in New York yoga to the people, and I used to get annoyed. When they would just kind of like tell you how you should be feeling. And I'll yeah. just like, this is hard right now. So I, I'm not going to smile because I'm annoyed that this is hard. Totally. Shut up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's so pissed me off. I love in the forward of this book that I think it's Jessica Williams saying kind of about you that mm-hmm. you helped her realize that being a black woman and a feminist can kind of feel like a full time job. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like you're now becoming more and more a sort of well known voice. And does it feel more and more like that is your job to be?
3: the best version of those two things and whatever that means to you? I mean, yeah, I do notice a platform that I have and it's getting bigger. And so I do want to do a good job with it. I know some people are like, I don't want to be a role model. I want people to look up to me. And it's like, yeah, well, you can't really control that. So I really just try to not be a dumpster fire. And (laughs) I try to always be learning. And I think everyone can always grow. And so I think for me, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm really great on certain issues and other things that I'm teaching myself about more now. So I think just I don't feel the pressure. I'm like, I just keep doing what I've been always doing. And then it's now that more people are just paying attention, which is nice. But I don't feel like I've had to change myself that much.
2: You talk early on in the book about sort of. The idea that sometimes when you say, like, we're going to talk about race and we're going to talk about gender, that it can feel like you might accidentally slip into after-school special mode, yeah. whatever that is. For you, what is the key to keeping things like your book and your podcast, keeping them sort of accessible enough that it doesn't feel like school, even if they want to learn, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're there kind of to learn yeah. something that they don't know. That's why we read. That's why we listen to to shows like this. But how do you keep it from feeling like school,
3: well, I think my number one thing is to always be funny first. And so I'm always coming from that place. And then I will work in, you know, whatever points I may have. But I always want to entertain because, I mean, that's my job. I so always want to entertain and make people feel good about themselves and have a, a really positive experience listening to my work or reading my work. And then from there, you can kind of go into like, all oh, right, I can be more genuine now or I can be more vulnerable here. But the jokes come first and then. Uh, You know, it's also like who I am, like I'm not a super self-serious person, you know, Mm -hmm. like I talk about hot celebs as much as I talk about equal pay. So, you know, I think that that balance right there is pretty easy for me to, to keep.
2: My very first gender studies class I took as an undergrad in college had almost like a Portlandia sketch version of a professor who I actually loved, but it also felt like Oh, this is my first introduction to sort of capital F feminism. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this is intense. And then figuring out over the next however many years, sort of, how to make that word work for me and how to like when to stick up for myself and mm-hmm. for other women and when to just sort of go like, you know what? I'm gonna watch this TV show or this movie, even though it is terrible in some ways. <laughs> oh
3: yeah, it's totally. you know? like yeah, how do you yeah.
2: like do like balancing guilty pleasures, which you talk about some in the book yeah, with things that you just you know, you know it's candy, but right. you don't eat too much so it doesn't rot your teeth.
3: Yeah, I mean there are so many things that are just terrible. I, I talked about it on the podcast how uh, I went to go see with another girlfriend of mine, Joanna, we went to go see Pretty Woman just because we hadn't seen on the big screen, <laughs> and it's so bad. I mean, yeah. it's like fun because it's like Julia Roberts, and you yeah. watch, you're like, I can see why she's a star, but it's Richard Gere is. Can I curse on this? Yeah, like he's an. <laughs> In that movie, he's always stand up straight, you need to smile. I'm like, don't f- yeah. you, dude. But that is also, it's a, I don't know, it's still kind of like a fun movie, but it's also very problematic. So yeah, I think as long as you can kind of recognize when something is kind of bad for you and you enjoy it anyway and, like, you don't allow it to be like, oh, this is how all relationships should be. I should wait for some guy to save me. (laughs) So, like, that shouldn't be the takeaway. You should be like, oh, that was a silly movie. Yeah. And now I'm going to go back to real life. So I think the, the trouble comes in where you watch these things that are kind of crummy and then you think, oh, this is how life should be and then that kind of doesn't jive with reality and then you get frustrated. So I think that can be like the tricky part. But I
2: yeah. I think this messes up guys almost as much as girls when it comes to romantic comedies because it does kind of teach you that like no means not yet. Yeah. Romantic comedies are all about like almost or full on stalker behavior right. from dudes.
3: Yeah. And it's also like, okay, when it's Colin Firth being cute and with his adorable accent, him kind of pestering me is cute but if you're just like a random dude on the street and I'm like walking to work you are not Colin Firth so you do not get (laughs) to harass me but yeah I do think that it teaches this kind of like you can be sort of crummy to women in the end if you just say like you love them then it's fine wait what no (laughs) I love romantic comedies they're like one of my favorite things to watch but they are they do perpetuate this kind of messed up notion about how male female relationships should work which I don't enjoy but also uh but going first (laughs) i know yeah yeah so it's hard
2: one of your other guilty pleasures is packing basically only dirty laundry to go visit your parents. Please explain the virtues (laughs) of this really intelligent life hack to Greta. Because she's like, what?
3: Okay. Uh,
1: Have you always lived in Chicago? No. So I grew up in
3: Alaska. And
0: I went
1: to college in Minnesota. So it was like, I could bring this dirty laundry 3,000 miles (laughs) (laughs) to wash it. But I could also just take it downstairs and wash it. So to me, it just seemed like the effort so like we, we, have, we don't have the downstairs
3: Efficient. in New York if you have <laughs> if you have laundry in your building every time someone says that we're always like oh sh-. <laughs> what was
1: that? Was it a broad city, like the early, early web series yeah, where they, they something yeah. somebody something about, they have like— anything. Yeah, New York, it is like—you
3: usually have to go to some laundromat that's maybe two, three, four blocks away from your apartment. You have yeah. to schlep it. There's people there all the time, and it's really <laughs> crowded, and, you know, the machines aren't that good anyway. And so sometimes it's easier if I know I'm going to go home for Thanksgiving. I'll just— Pack a bunch of dirty clothes. Yeah, and I use my parents. They have a whole washroom. They have a whole room. Yeah, that's beautiful.
2: And it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. you don't have to stay in the room with the washing machine while it's happening. Yeah, You can go somewhere else. You don't have to worry about if you're like five minutes late to getting back from the dryer being done that your clothes are just going to be in a weird pile somewhere. Exactly. Yeah, I did it. For 4th of July. So I still am doing it. Even though I'm like 32 now. I love it. I think too. I like to think that, you know, it makes my mom feel like, you know, we're like a family and we're in a home together again. Even more when I'm doing chores in the house, right? Like I'll throw some of her stuff in the load too. It's not like I'm making her do it for me.
3: Yeah, I do it myself. That's cute. That's the line between adulting and not. You gotta do it yourself when you bring it home. I
1: probably shouldn't even say this, but my mom does do my brother's laundry. No. Well, there just comes a point. He's he's not yet thirty. He's He's close to thirty though. Yes. It just comes down to this timing situation (laughs) where like by the end it's just like, dude If this doesn't happen now, it's just not going to happen. Wow. And then she's doing it. Yeah, it's a weird scene. Yeah. Sorry, Jacob.
3: (laughs) Get together, Jacob.
2: (laughs) All right, we're going to talk with Phoebe about two dope queens and so many white guys
0: in just a minute.
1: I would just like to take a quick moment to say that Jacob does his own laundry and that was a long time ago. And I'm sorry for outing. He's a grown Jacob up now. My, yeah, everybody's grown up.
2: I still take dirty laundry home, <laughs> but I do it myself, which is almost adult. I mean,
1: you know, grown up is a spectrum, right? It's a spectrum of <laughs> adultness. You're
2: I'm working almost there. <laughs> now we're going to talk with Phoebe Robinson a little more about her newest podcast, So Many White Guys. <laughs>
1: I like the way you did so.
2: You have to make sure many. people yes, know there's a so lot of O's. There's
3: three O's. We talked about how many O's should be in the title. <laughs> <laughs> that was so three weird.
2: feels like not a typo, but yeah. not too many. Yeah, cause Is that why? Two would be like
3: Sue. Like people would be yeah. like, Sue. how do you say that? And yeah. then you don't want to have too many because that seems obnoxious. But three <laughs> felt appropriate. (laughs) It felt pro. yeah, it's just perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So So Many White Guys is the interview show that Mm -hmm. you do
1: and it's newer than Two Dope Queens, right? It hasn't been around quite as long. Yes, yes. We
3: only have one season in the can. WNYC, they just said, hey, I know you have a book coming out. Would you want to do anything else? And I was like, oh yeah, this might seem like a cool idea because podcasting and stand-up are both very white male dominated and that's how I came up with the show, and I told Alana about it, Alana Glazer from Broad City, and she loved it and wanted to jump, on to be an EP, and then we just kind of took it from there. It's been great. What were your... Sort of concerns or what were you excited about when you thought about moving from Two Dope
2: Queens, which is more like in the realm of the stuff you had been doing, like mm-hmm. stand up. And now you're sitting down for a one on one long form interview. Like what were you hoping you could do in that environment that you hadn't been able to do yet with Two Dope Queens?
3: I think just being able to sit down and have talk to someone for 30 minutes to an hour and have a conversation or I mean, ideally you wanted to be like super funny, but. That's not the only thing that matters. Like, I just wanted to have a great conversation with people that I admire. And I felt like so many times Janet Mock was one of the guests on the shows. And like, so many times we read an interview with her and it's just like, So you're trans? When did you have your surgery? Like, what was it? You know, just the obsession with that is the only thing about her that's worth talking about. Or like Alana, I was seeing a lot of interviews. It'd be like, So you're a woman, you have your own TV show. What's that like? And she's like,
2: yeah, I mean, how do you answer that I question? I don't know.
3: I've always been a woman. Yeah. And so I just noticed that a lot of times in interviews, there's kind of this tendency to otherize the person if they're mm-hmm. not a straight white dude. And then that would be the only thing they would talk about. And there's so many amazing things that folks like Hasan Minaj would talk about and Gina Rodriguez and. I don't know. I just really felt like a lot of interviews weren't getting at the heart of people. Like my interview with Lizzo is probably one of my favorites because she's a rapper. And I think a lot of times rappers are thought of as not being smart or not caring about current events. And she's so with it. And she's so on it. And she's such a star. And it was great to just kind of have that platform for her to just show off how amazing and brilliant she is. I actually was in the audience when you were interviewing Janet
2: Mock because I was at work at WNYC. And I remember being like, I had been listening to Two Dope Queens and I had known a little bit about your stuff. But I was like, this is a different chair to sit in, Mm -hmm. like to do this kind of interview. And it was just so good and so refreshing to hear that conversation between the two of you. And it made me super excited for the show before I had even heard an episode in a podcast feed. And then, of course, here's what happens on the Internet when you're a woman is because of the name of the show. Mm -hmm. Right. People on iTunes started leaving reviews, just being mad that the show was about talking to people who weren't straight white dudes. Yeah. What was it like to see that happen before the show even came
3: out? It was just kind of a bummer. It was like a weird week. I was on vacation. It was over 4th of July. And there was just like so a lot of... So you were doing laundry at your mom's <laughs> house. Yeah. Yeah. Doing laundry <laughs> at my mom's house and hanging out with my niece. And like, they dropped the trailer over the, the holiday. And I was like, oh, this will be so fun. And I saw that. And I got like really bummed out. And thankfully, WNYC and Dean Capello and everyone yes. over there, they were like on top of it. But... I mean, I get that the title is provocative. I'm sure it's fun to, like, kind of poke people a little bit. But most shows don't feature women or people of color or queer people uh, as guests. And I'm like, you can listen to WTF with Mark Marin if you want just tons of white dudes talking to other white dudes. And it's a great show. I'm not knocking Mark at all. But I think like, a lot— the market is full of that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think my show being counter-programming to that— making people so angry that I'm pointing out the discrepancy, but they're not actually mad at the actual problem itself. I always find confusing. I'm just like, oh, you're just mad that I'm a woman of color and I have an opinion and I'm talking. I get it.
1: Yeah, yeah. that's, that's yeah. so yeah. infuriating uh, yeah. about yeah. it, right? Is, yeah, just to merely exist with an opinion is like, no, we're upset about this
3: now. Yeah, so that was really frustrating. And I, once people started listening to it, Most people kind of calmed down. Some people were still tweeting at me and they were angry. They're like, what if I had a show called Too Many Blacks? I'm like, well, I never said it was too many white guys. I just said there's (laughs) so so many. many. (laughs) Because there are so many in podcasting. Semantics matter. And that is a key
2: distinction. Yeah, that's very different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think just seeing that For me, it was like a feminist bat signal. Yeah. And so I sort of like took up the cause, Greta and I did, of telling everyone who listens to Nerdette to go and leave a counter review to those reviews because it's just one of those things... They hadn't even listened to the show yet. The show wasn't even out yet. Right, they couldn't be reacting to the content of the yeah. show because
3: they hadn't heard it. And it's like if you listen to the show, you realize what it's it is.
1: It's not like you're having Gina Rodriguez on to just talk about like how horrible white guys are.
3: Yeah, it's not. It's <laughs> like <laughs> if that was a show, then I could understand it because that that's a, a, a douchey show. But it was really like Gina, you're awesome and brilliant, and I just want to talk to you about all the ways that you're amazing. And she said, Sure. <laughs> so that was like a great it's interview. A good pitch, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh but yeah, most people like get it and they've been great and having Mike Barbiglia as the token white guy was so fun and he's so wonderful and sweet. He totally got the podcast and he's like, I love it and, and it was really great to talk to him and he— Afterwards, he was like, oh, you know, no one ever asked me about race. And I have all these opinions about it. It was really nice to come on the show and just talk about stuff like that and fatherhood and marriage. And so it was, it was really cool. It makes him probably feel a little special because
2: there was a probably, you know, obviously a sea of yeah. straight white dudes <laughs> to choose from for that one yeah. per, per season. And so he should feel honored. He should. I think he did.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So how different does that feel? I mean, so much of your background is sort of performance where, like, Mm -hmm. you say the thing and you get the reaction from the audience instantaneously. And that can often dictate how you move forward in whatever story you're telling or the joke or whatever. How different is that muscle where you're just like sitting in a room and you put the thing out into the world later?
3: I mean, I really do like interviewing and get and like researching someone and looking at all their work and coming up with questions. And I think we picked people that are really easy to talk to. I feel like everyone, they were only awesome, great people. So even though there is that delay reaction where we would tape something, like we wouldn't know how people are going to react to it until for like a month later you know like after i interviewed Roxanne gay i knew that was going to be a really good interview Mm -hmm. because she killed it so you can kind of sense what is going to be good and what people are going to react to but it is a different experience because you just are like all right i'm just gonna wait until it comes out then i (laughs) kept like refreshing my twitter mentions just to see what people were saying about it so it was a little bit like christmas morning when i what's the reaction going to be as opposed to stand up or two dope queens where it's like immediate
1: I think so often, you know, we'll do live events and, like, you can feed off the energy Mm -hmm. in a way. It's just such a different experience, even though essentially, like, you're still sitting in a room talking to a person.
3: Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, I think we're very strategic about who we wanted to interview. Um, You know, someone like Constance Wu has a great personality. She's warm and she's funny and she's sweet. So it's like it never felt like we had to pull teeth where I think, like, if we had – if we had a podcast where we were only interviewing, like, serious novelists, Who oh boy, that, that would probably be really tough. There might be some, like, clunkers of episodes. But I think, you know, by interviewing other performers or other people that at least are on camera, like Janet Mock is, you know, she's very well trained in media stuff. So at this point, it was like, it was never like, oh, God, how are we going to get through this interview with this person? Oh, geez. So, yeah, I think we lucked out with Hui interviewed
2: with two dope queens so mm-hmm. it's a, a live show and you're giving the experience of that live show then to you know a million billion people who can listen to it on podcast what was it like to realize that a thing that was happening in that small space was suddenly being given this kind of megaphone
3: yeah i mean i think jess and i we were always kind of hopeful that the podcast was going to take off but i think we were kind of surprised about how big it got and like You know, like people in Australia listen to us who were like, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, So that's a very cool outcome of that. But I think it's kind of like you can't really worry about who's going to listen to it later. When you're in the room, you just have to kind of perform for the room. And so we just really are so focused on like, the 400 people in the room, and then, you know, the fact that the audience that comes to the live show is pretty much the same kind of, or, like, a very good sample size of, like, the audience that listens to the show, we can kind of, I don't know, we just really get a good sense of, like, how each episode is going to turn out.
2: Would you have thought like a few years ago that you would be, like, the only other place except for Colbert show that John Stewart would leave the farm for? Like, that's a
3: pretty amazing thing, that was, man. That was cool. He's so... I love... John Stewart's so dreamy. I was like, oh, my God, hi. <laughs> uh, that was crazy, because he was very sweet, and he, like, listened to some of the episodes. I, I was like, you didn't have to do that, but thank you. But it was really cool having that stamp of approval from him, and he was just like, what you and Jess have is so special, and he... I think... Initially, maybe some people might have been like, oh, what Phoebe and Jess are doing is only for women or only for black people. And I think, you know, our story is universal for a lot of people. And I think a lot of times people try to, you know, section out comedy and say, this is only for queer people or this is only for dudes. And it's like, I think our show is really just a celebration that comedy is for anyone and you can relate to anyone and you can laugh at jokes that are from anyone. So... Thank you, John, for coming out. I, I would love for him to come back, but... <laughs> he's but Jersey. he's busy on
0: the farm. He,
3: I know, he's busy on the farm, yeah. <laughs> I'm in heaven right now. So, uh... Um, um, you guys are awesome.
0: So Thank you. So you might
3: know that I'm currently on the market for an older <laughs> gentleman, and I was... just as about to throw up. Um, I was wondering if you, like, had any tips as to how I should go about yeah. procuring one. No question. Conjuring one. Don't hug them too tight (laughs) it's
0: like what is to you a youthful and vivacious and beautiful woman an expression of joy and love is
3: to them a truly dangerous and tenuous situation and when you're dealing with uh, generally the people that you are going to be uh, embracing at this time (laughs) have been drinking lactate for 15 to 25 years So the calcium levels are really dangerously low. (laughs) Now, on the plus side, you can pick up a five-foot, eight-inch, nine-inch person like they're a bird.
1: I love those rooms where you can just tell that everybody's on the same
3: team. Yeah, You know what I
1: mean? And it's not like, I don't know. It's just like, no, we're all just here enjoying this thing.
3: Yeah, we wanted to be like a safe space and a fun party, sex positive, body positive, everything positive, which is good. Yeah. My last question for you
2: is just sort of like as you continue your world domination, (laughs) what's next?
3: Like, what do you want to be tackling next? You've got the shows. You've got the book. What else? Um, Well, I'm shooting a recurring role on Jill Soloway's new show, I Love Dick, for Amazon. Yes. That's what Catherine Hahn and Griffin Dunn and Kevin Bacon. And I'm like, what? <laughs> He's amazing. They're all amazing, but I'm like, oh my God, Kevin, you're so, you're the best.
1: Will you just say the title of that show again, please?
3: I love Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And it's really cool. The script that they've come up with, I'm just like, wow, this is awesome. So I think this is going to be really cool feminist TV. And then uh, I'm not sure when it's going to come out, but I'm really excited about it. And then stand up stuff. I think I want to go on the road a lot next year and just focus on stand-up because I think my next big project is I want to do like an hour special. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, it's maybe like, you know, Comedy Central or something. Yeah, Yeah, that'd be cool.
1: We will be back in a minute with homework from Phoebe Robinson.
3: Hey guys, it's Phoebe Robinson of Two Up Queens and your dreams. And this is my homework for you. Okay, so I'm super late to the party. I didn't start watching Mad Men until two months ago. (laughs) So I'm like in the middle of season six. I'm so obsessed that's with That's a the good show. clip. That's a binge right there. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, I really just was like, if I wasn't working, I would just stay up and I would watch it. So if you haven't seen Mad Men, watch it. Uh, book Milk and Honey by Rupi Cower. I think I'm saying her name correctly. I might not. So sorry, Rupi. But uh, it's a book of poetry. New York Times bestseller, uh, like me, Sober Twins. Um, (laughs) But uh, it's really, really good feminist poetry, and they have like really dope illustrations in there, too. And I read it in an afternoon. It's one of those things you can just revisit all the time. So I really, really love that book. So Milk and Honey, if you haven't read it, read it.
1: Awesome. Milk and Honey and Mad Men, that's a funny combination, I feel like. I, oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> They're very opposite because Don Draper's like literal trash. <laughs> but he's also hot. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> he
1: is nice to look at
3: It's kind of yeah, like
2: true. the Colin Firth rule. Yeah,
3: but I'm more more—I'm more of a Roger Sterling. I like the Silver Foxes. That's mm. my jam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Raj, Mine is the racism because he's a little racist on the yeah. show. But uh, Yeah, that whole show is like ooh, I, sometimes. I know. I just, have you guys seen... Mad Men. I stopped watching it. I gave up on it. I watched it. What season? I saw
1: it was that premiere where he goes to California. Oh, that was a great episode three or something. Okay. Yeah,
3: I watched the whole thing. (laughs) Okay. So I okay. I'm fairly certain Roger and Joan are not gonna get together because this show doesn't like for anyone to be happy. (laughs) The show does not want anyone to be happy ever. It makes me so upset. (laughs) But I'm all about Peggy, so I can't wait to see. Oh, my gosh. She's just amazing. She's good. She's my
2: favorite. <laughs> All right. Mad Men and Milk and Honey. That is excellent homework from Phoebe Robinson.
3: Phoebe, thank
1: you so much for coming on your net. Uh, thanks for having me, ladies. Yes. It's been great. Okay. So to reiterate, your homework is to read Phoebe Robinson's You Can't Touch My Hair, to watch Mad Men if you haven't already, and to read Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur. I have to say, I've read Milk and Honey. And it starts off very intensely, especially if, you know, things about sexual violence are triggering. But it is excellent. There's a lot about healing and growth as well. It's a really beautiful read. And you did it because Phoebe gave it as homework, so you should note,
2: listeners, that we do the homework, too.
1: Yes. It's also worth noting that Phoebe earlier in this interview mentions Lizzo, and it only took me like two months to actually listen to her, but she is amazing. (laughs) You're very obsessed with Lizzo right now. I have have not listened to anything so much since Hamilton over and over. Seriously, it's like... It's serious, man. So also, if you haven't listened to Lizzo, that's my like extra bonus homework is start with good as hell and then listen to worship and then listen to coconut oil and then just like repeat them over and over in your life and you will be better.
2: I do my hair toss, check my nails, baby, how
3: you feeling?
1: A ringing endorsement for Lizzo. A very rigorous endorsement, indeed.
2: Your other bit of homework is to hop on Twitter or shoot us an email at nerdatpodcast at at com or we're on Twitter at at nerdatpodcast. Tell us what's something that you were a little late to the party on but that you wish other people would either talk about with you or start watching. I think that this you know, holiday time, a lot of our regularly scheduled programs are on hiatus for the next few weeks. So this is a pretty good time to maybe snuggle up with, you know, some Netflix and watch a show that you've been meaning to catch up on. So we're looking for your recommendations in that regard. Tell us what is something that you were late to the party on, but that you love a la Mad Men, because clearly that's been off the air for a few years. <laughs>
1: yeah, man. <laughs> but
2: hey, better late than never when it comes to something that's really awesome like exactly. Mad Men, or you tell us what were you late to the party on that you love at Nerd on Twitter.
1: The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Joe Disseau and Justin Bull, who I found out today steals my pens. He's a pen stealer. That's rude. (laughs) You better give them back, Justin. Our intern is Annie Nguyen. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer.
2: He has his own pens. He carries them in a jar. Yeah, he does. Actually, they're markers, technically. They're markers. They're markers. The whiteboard markers of an executive producer are (laughs) coveted (laughs) currency. real, man. (laughs) Subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on NPR One. Take the plunge and do that subscribing thing wherever you listen and help spread the good word about Nerdette.
1: Another really wonderful thing you can do to help Nerdette is go onto the iTunes and give us five stars like the lovely Step Into the Sunshine did. Trisha, can I tell you what this what an says. empowering username. I know, man. This whole thing. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Buckle up Buttercup because <laughs> feminism is alive and well and has some patriarchy butt-kicking to do. And this podcast will help you to become the warrior goddess you always knew you were. For real. Give it a listen. Think about the stuffs. Do the homework. You will like yourself better. How sweet is
2: that. I think this person has like channeled the spirit of Leslie Nokia. The so good for that.
1: Warrior goddess? I just Pony goddesses.
2: <laughs> We're on Twitter at Nerdet Podcast. As we said, we're also on Instagram, Facebook, all those things, Nerdat Podcast, wherever you're internetting.
1: And hey, we have a newsletter. You can find that too at NerdatPodcast.com.
2: Nerdet is a production of WBEZ Chicago, where you can find podcasts for nerds of all stripes. I highly recommend our new mini doc series called Making Oprah that will inspire you with some girl power also.
3: You get a car.
2: I don't. (laughs) I don't need a car. (laughs) Listen, I live in the city. I'm a millennial. I don't have a car. Okay, okay. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear.
1: Do your homework.
2: Do your homework. Do your
1: homework. Buckle up, buttercup. I like that. Yes. I might say that
2: a lot now.
0: <laughs> Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series.